Um, we're talking about taking the gospel into our circles of influence in various ways. And we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. In week one, we said this was the plan to reach the world, and this is what the early church did. That was the plan. Take the gospel through your circles of influence into the world. And by taking it that way, there's no special plan because that is the plan. Or if there is a special plan, that's it. That people go into their circles of influence, meaning that they talk to the person at the grocery store. Or they talk to the person who lives next door. Or they talk to the hockey coach. Or the teacher at school. Or the guy at the cubicle next door. And they talk to them about their faith. And slowly share with them their life. That was the plan to reach the world. That's what the early church did. And we're talking about doing it as well. Then last week, we talked about the power of authenticity to change lives. We saw that clip from uh, Finding Forrester, where Sean Connery is in his apartment for 30 years or 40 years and doesn't come out, but he has a chance meeting with a young man who's interested in him, and the two of them share things together, and they're real with each other and authentic with each other, and it changes Sean Connery's life, or at least Sean Connery's character. This morning, I want us to focus on this notion, the power of compassion. The power of compassion. The idea that when we are compassionate in our world today, that there is the opportunity for us to see people changed. That something happens when you and I, in our circles of influence, are compassionate. Something powerful and something significant can happen in human life when we seize opportunities to be compassionate. Jesus was the one who was first compassionate at least for Christians, he's the one who is our model and our example in terms of being compassionate. And I'm just going to run through these. There's, what I count? 36 of these, okay? You're not going to have time to digest them. But just watch the acts of Jesus being compassionate. Healing Peter's mother-in-law. Healing a man with leprosy. Healing the paralytic. Eating the, with the tax collectors and sinners. Healing the man with the shriveled hand. Healing the demon-possessed man. Healing Jairus' daughter. Healing the woman with the turtle bleeding. Feeding the 5,000. Casting the demon from the Gentile's daughter. Healing the deaf and mute man. Feeding the 4,000. Heal the blind man at Bethsaida. Heals the boy with the deaf and mute spirit. Heals blind Bartimaeus. He accepts the woman who anoints him with perfume. And you remember her character and who she was and the way that Jesus accepted her. He heals the centurion's servant. He heals the demon-possessed men from the Gadarenes. He heals two deaf men and one mute man. He had compassion on the children. He calms the storm for the disciples, I think, certainly to show them uh, that he's the Son of God, but also, I think, just to have compassion on them because they were worried. He heals a man born blind uh, in John chapter 9. Jesus was raising the widow of uh, Nain, her son, Compassion on the woman at the Pharisee's house, the woman at the well, heals the official's son, heals the woman bent over for 18 years, 
His sorrow for Jerusalem. He healed ten men with leprosy. He gives Zacchaeus a chance. He changes water to wine. And, and that's a compassionate act, and that it was an embarrassment for the family for, for them to have run out of wine when they did. He heals the lame man at the pool. He raises Lazarus, and he loved him so much. And he heals a man with dropsy, replaces Malchus's ear, and, and just the healing of the masses that consistently were part of Jesus' ministry. And here's the point. That when Jesus sends us into the world, he wants us to follow his ministry. There are good things that happen when human beings pattern their lives after the person of Jesus. So if you say to yourself this morning, well, I'm not all that compassionate of a person. Like I really, there's just something about me. It's just the way God made me. I'm not really all that compassionate. There's a part of me that wants to say, repent then and see some change take place because Jesus himself is filled with compassion for people. That's who Jesus is. And so you run through the stories of the gospel and it's just one story after another of Jesus being compassionate. And I think that Jesus plants in us the, the chance to be compassionate. I think we can be. It's a matter of simply opening our hearts up to Jesus and wanting to be like him. And so we look at a mission statement over here and it says we're going to be like Jesus. To demonstrate compassion is to be like Jesus. And so we fulfill our mission when we go out to be like Jesus. Well, I mentioned before that there's power in compassion. There's demonstrated compassion that seldom uh, goes completely unnoticed. This morning, let me blank that so you'll listen to me and not look at the screen for a sec. This morning, I got up and I had breakfast, like I sometimes do. My wife is so wonderful. She, you know, Robin works full time, but she still, morning after morning, she makes breakfast for me. And so this morning, we got up, and there was a bowl of cream of wheat sitting there ready for me to eat. So I was kind of in a hurry. I hadn't. I, there were some things I had to do here. I had to come down and get the baptistry going and stuff. So I sat down. I kind of yelled at her, Robin, I'm going to eat already. And she said, fine. So I, she wasn't there to counsel me through my cream of wheat or anything. So I took some butter, and I... You know, took a little dollop of butter and put that in the cream of wheat. And I sprinkled some sugar on the cream of wheat and uh, put some jam on my toast or whatever, and I started to eat. So I I take the spoonful of cream of wheat, and I start to bring it up to my mouth. And I thought, as I'm starting to bring it up there, I thought, something's quite not right here. And and I could smell that something was not quite right. So I, I put it in my mouth taste it for a second and it was very mild but I thought there's something not quite right I thought now is this burned like is the cream of wheat burned what is the problem like I knew something was wrong and suddenly I realized what it was the butter that I was dolloping into my cream of wheat was the garlic butter from our garlic toast the (laughs) night before (laughs) have you ever had cream of wheat laced with garlic The Bible talks about leaven going through the whole dough. Garlic does the exact same thing, except leaven doesn't make your breath stink the way that garlic does. And so, 
like I can kind of handle that. If I'm at a restaurant and I have some garlic and I end up at the end thinking, man, I really smell like garlic. Well, it's nighttime and I'm going to go home and go to bed and I'm not going to think about it. But I've got to come meet 250 people today. And I've just had garlic for breakfast. <laughs> my, my point is, is that Compassion is like that. It doesn't just remain calm. It doesn't just stay where it is. It infiltrates like the garlic did in my cream of wheat this morning. And when you show an act of compassion to somebody else, you can't just keep that quiet. It just doesn't work. Compassion kind of leaks. It gets out there. People find out that that's what you've done. And that brothers and sisters, is a good thing when people start hearing about the church of Jesus Christ being compassionate to other people. Look at this passage in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Turn there real quick. I just want to read this for you. This is, it's kind of interesting. What happens? Mark chapter 1, And Jesus here heals a man with leprosy. It's one of those incidents of the compassion of Christ that I put up on the screen just a moment ago. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now you have to understand that in this culture, to be leprous was horrible. Like we can't hardly think of anything in our society that would make you more repelling to a human being than to be leprous. This is like... This is like if we were the same society that would simply reject people because they had AIDS. Now, nowadays, you can't get away with that. If somebody has AIDS, we're supposed to be respectful and we're supposed to care for them and give, be compassionate. And you can't uh, reject someone because they have AIDS, say, for example, uh, applications with employment or something like that. Leprosy was way worse than that. And so if you're leprous, you have to walk on the wrong side of the street. And if you see somebody coming, you have to cross the street in order to avoid them. They're not going to cross the street to avoid you. You as the leper have to avoid them. And as you walk down the street, you have to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that everybody knows that you have some kind of problem, and they probably think it's leprosy, that is going to cause you to be unclean, and therefore they can't associate with you. So this, this is a huge problem. But look at what Jesus does. Verse 41, filled with compassion. Jesus, instead of crying out, unclean, unclean, instead of expecting that this person is going to have to avoid him and go away from him, reaches out his hand and touches the man and says, I am willing, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Now watch this. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, Jesus most likely, well, in fact, the text says this later, doesn't want people to get too excited about him too early. In John 6, when the people get all excited about Jesus, they come and make him king. And Jesus has to slyly leave from them because they're going to try and force this kingship upon him. Here, Jesus doesn't want that to be forced. And so he wants the man to not tell anybody about what's going on. Verse 45, instead, 
He went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. And, and it's because compassion leaks. This fellow had been healed. Something good had happened to his life. And he starts telling people. Well, who did that, they say? And he says, it was Jesus. And he's glad to tell them because he has met somebody who had compassion on him, who healed him and blessed his life. And it just gets out there. And that's what happens when the church finds itself being compassionate for other people. We need to be compassionate. The second point I want to make about compassion here is this. Seeing a life changed by compassion is, in fact, contagious and compelling. It's not just that people hear about it. People get changed by it. Something happens to them. And this makes an awful lot of sense. Because people don't always see compassion. There are an awful lot of people in our world who would rather run over you than have compassion on you. And we know that. And so when a genuinely compassionate heart reaches out to another individual, it affects us. It does something to us. When we hear about an act of kindness on the inside, something happens and we say, this is a good thing. Or it may be that somebody ends up getting admired by us because of the kind of compassion that they have for another. And so lives can be changed by compassion. So I want you to look at this passage from John chapter 4. In verse 27, this is the story of the woman at the well. It says that the disciples come back. They're surprised to find him talking with a woman. Why are they so surprised that he's talking with a woman? Because for Jesus to be talking with the woman, and especially this woman, is in fact an act of compassion. The woman is all by herself coming to the well, which was strange. The woman also comes to the well in the middle of the day, which is strange. Why are you going to take your heavy water jar and go out to the well in the middle of the day when it's hot? You wouldn't do that. Nor are you necessarily going to go alone to do something like this. Jewish women usually went to the wells in groups, both for protection and for fellowship. Here's a woman who goes to the well all by herself in the middle of the day. It's not surprising that she then says to Jesus at one point, I can't believe you're talking to me. Like, what's going on here? And the reason that Jesus talks to her is because he has compassion on her. It's not unlike the story of Jesus being anointed and having compassion on the woman that everybody knows has a bad reputation. This woman had some marriage problems. Jesus points those out. Jesus ends up saying, well, she quotes him and says, the man has told me everything I ever did. And so he has compassion on her. It impacts her life that he does. And the impact that we have on others when we have compassion on them is absolutely wonderful. But what I want to focus on for a moment is not the impact that it has on her. What's interesting is the impact that it has on the others. 
Because when Jesus talks to the woman, and she then leaves her water jar there and runs into town and says, I found a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? The people come out to see Jesus. And by the end of the story, these people too have heard of Jesus. They've listened to him and have now convinced that indeed Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God. It starts with an act of compassion, with Jesus just being kind enough to talk to a woman at a well. And when she does that, lives are ch- or when he does that, lives are changed. Years ago, we had a lady in Victoria named Tina McGinnis. Tina had all kinds of physical problems. I don't know all the things that were wrong with her heart. Um, she was a mother of two, two little boys, and she knew that at any moment her heart could give out on her. Like she was in the hospital a lot. I remember going to Vancouver actually and seeing her in the hospital. Doctors could do absolutely nothing for Tina. Her heart just, eventually it's going to go and give out. But Tina, although her heart was not in great shape physically, she had a golden heart and was really willing to put herself out on behalf of other people. And so when she found that the lady who lived next door to her, Alberta Hutchinson, was being mistreated by her own daughter and was had all kinds of difficulties in life, both with her health and her finances and everything else, Tina really reached out to Alberta. Probably in a way, well, in fact, I know in a way, that nobody ever had. And, you know, Tina, there wasn't anything for her to gain from this relationship. Like, there wasn't anything that Alberta had that would ever come back to to Tina in some positive way. It's not as if Alberta had money that would come to Tina or Alberta was a popular person and somehow that would come back and bless Tina. There wasn't anything that Alberta had about her life, her presence, anything about her. She wasn't wasn't a good conversationalist. She wasn't going to be a a friend of Tina's so that they're going to spend great time sharing together and all of that. That's not going to happen. Alberta's probably 80 and Tina's 28. Now that they can't have a relationship, but in this case, trust me, it just wasn't going to work like that. But Tina had compassion. So she started doing stuff for Alberta. She took her places. She got her things that she needed. There was a sense in which Tina kind of became the daughter that Alberta's own daughter should have been. And after three, four, five, six months, whatever it was, I had a chance to baptize Alberta. In fact, I remember this because Alberta was scared to death of water. I don't know if you've, any of you guys who've done baptisms, ladies who've done baptisms, if you ever baptize somebody who's deathly afraid of water, it's an interesting experience. I had to fight her into baptism. You know, this 80-year-old woman scrambling and fighting, trying to not get into the water, but I was going to baptize her. <laughs> So she she lived through that and took new life upon herself. And it wasn't that long after that that Alberta died. N- not from the baptism, by the way. <laughs> Alberta passed away. And the reason that Alberta had eternal life, the reason that she was able to live forever with Jesus was because Tina McGinnis, who lived next door, who herself had a horrible heart and could have easily been so centered on her own problems 
that she would have never said anything to Alberta, ended up being responsible for Alberta's eternal salvation in Jesus. We have people around us everywhere who are like Alberta and who need our compassion. They're everywhere. And if we open our eyes, we'll have a chance to see those people and have compassion. Around you everywhere, there are people who need you to show them the compassion of Jesus. Be like Jesus for them. That's what our mission statement says. To be like Jesus. And Jesus wants us to have hearts, lives, even eyes wide open to compassion. Somebody's eternal life may depend on it. And as we go into the world, into our circles of influence for Christ with the gospel, compassion is a huge element in opening these people up to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege we have of being your children. We thank you for the compassion that you showed to us. Father, every one of us has been recipients of your love and mercy and compassion. You have reached out to us. Father, I pray that in response to Jesus, that we would be followers of him, that we would be like him, and reach out with compassion to others. Help us to open our eyes and to see those Alberta Hutchinsons that are around us everywhere. Through Christ we pray. Amen.